0: So a uh, few years ago, I was—actually, was i was doing a, a kind of mission trip in South Africa uh, with a friend, and we were moving from one village to another village up the south coast of South Africa. and We needed to get on this bus. It was called the Mad yeah. Bus or something. I it was like bus.
1: And we needed to get on this bus and and drive five hours up the
0: coast, and so. We got on the bus and there was a bunch of people. who were like, "Hey, we're here on a mission here, We should we should take every opportunity to uh, to be sharing our faith." And so, uh, we were talking with a few people. They couldn't leave because there was stuff on the bus. And, uh, one one lady that I had spoken to, uh, she told me that I had completely um, completely misunderstood Christianity. My whole life. She told me something that I, I had never encountered before and I was curious as to what that was. What she had told me was that the church for 2,000 years had been covering up one of the biggest scandals of all time. And she pointed me to a book if you've heard of called The Da Vinci Code. So you might have read that book or you may have seen the movie, but the premise of the book is that this farmers professor goes out and solves this Mystery. He's a symbologist, and there's some symbols in the line, so they call him and say, Okay, what does this mean? He goes out and as he's trying to figure this out, he ends up discovering this thing that challenges the beliefs of billions of people and what they think about Jesus, the Bible, and the church. Now, one of the biggest discoveries that he made was that Jesus was not actually God, that he was a mortal man who later attained. Part of the divine through his marriage with the goddess Mary Magdalene. And then she and Christ were always meant to function together as these co redemptors, these co these, these messiahs, functioning as one. So, according to this lady on the bus, the church had been covering this up for thousands of years. And to do so, they had slandered the name of Mary Magdalene, calling her a prostitute. They had removed all of the scriptures, the Gnostic gospels, anything that challenged the divinity of Christ and his romantic love with Mary. And they had done so to maintain the power and wealth that they had in the church. Now, if someone were to come up and tell you that, what would you point to to say that that's not true? And how do we know what actually happened during the time of Jesus and the life of Jesus? I mean, what is to say that my understanding of Jesus is right and her understanding of Jesus is not? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Can we believe what the Bible has to say about Jesus? Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible trustworthy? Or are we? Are we blindly, and we need to are we blindly following some sort of wishful fantasy that we just hope is true? But so we're going to read our passage and see uh, whether or not that is the case. You can go with your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're starting our, our new series, the book of Luke, and we're going to first be looking at this little introduction here that Luke gives us to his gospel Luke 1 verses 1 4. It says this Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an area of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eye witnesses ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write formally accounts for you, most excellent theophilus, that you may have certainty. Concerning the things that you have been taught, so today we are we are looking at this little introduction to the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is the largest book in the New Testament. In the so when you put Luke and Acts together, which Luke also wrote, they compose over twenty-seven percent of the New Testament. And I find, in my experience, that the, the Gospel of Luke is often neglected most among the Gospels. People love the, the Gospel of John, and I think for good reason. It's an amazing Gospel that has changed many lives. Uh, people like the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. you tell someone to go and read the New Testament, we're going to start with Matthew. Uh, the book of Mark was the first Gospel that was written, and it's, it's a nice, concise, short summary of the life of Jesus which is what's good for you believers to read. But where does the gospel of Luke fall into all of this? Well, if it means anything to you, Luke is my favorite gospel. Not just because of his awesome name, but because I think more than any gospel, Luke really reveals the heart of Jesus. He reveals his his heart for his father, reveals his heart for his followers and his friends, and revealed his heart for the Gentiles and the lost. It's also a book that highlights like more than any other that Christ has come to save us. Luke uses the word save, salvation, and Savior far more than any other gospel. You can see this in all of the, the songs of Luke. Luke is also a book of, of singing. The church loves to sing, to sing some of the, the songs of. Luke, because there's so many of these songs which which trace the history of Israel and culminate now in the coming of Christ Jesus our Savior. Zechariah sings out in his song in Luke 1, verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a form of salvation for us. That's really the theme of the book of Luke. That God has come and he has brought. Salvation, And that is all nice and sweet, we love to hear those things that God has come to save us. But the question still remains, how do we know that it's actually true? And many people believe many things that aren't true, that sound really nice, but how do we know that it's true? How do we know that Jesus actually said what he said, and Jesus actually did what he, what he claimed that he did? What peddled this morning's message, the truthfulness of the gospel. In a little introduction here, that's going to be his main point. That we can can trust that what the Bible says about Jesus is true and trustworthy. Now, ultimately, as Christians, we know that God's word is true because it is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God breathed. It is to say that the, the very words that we read in our Bibles are the very words of God. They have breathe breathed out by God. And since God cannot lie, therefore all that God has to say in his word must be true. So if someone were to ask me, well, why do you believe the Bible is true? And my answer would ultimately be, because God said it's true, and God is the the ultimate authority, is the ultimate standard of truth. The moment I appeal to some other standard, let's say historical accuracy or something like that, I've placed another standard higher than God. The reason I believe the Bible is true is because God the <coughs> Word is he said true. Yet on top of that, there are other reasons why you can say that the Bible is true. The other things that build upon this foundation of God saying his word is true that give us assurance as Christians of the truthness of God's Word. So not only is it inspired by God, but as we see, the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is uh, internally consistent in a, in a beautiful way. It contains accurate predictions of prophecies that do come to pass and has been the source of countless redeemed and changed lives. And so all of these help further cement this idea of the truthfulness of God's word. And that's what Luke is looking at here in these verses. He's going to make three claims that we're going to look at that ultimately are going to assure us of our confidence in his gospel. And he is not just making these things up, but that they actually happen and that we are called to lead and obey them with all of our hearts. And so then, what are the three claims that we make on the truth of the doctrine? I think part of the, the goal of this sermon uh, is maybe you don't believe uh, that the Bible is God's word. Maybe you don't know if you can trust what He has to say. Right, so the first goal then is, someone who's in that situation, I want to prove to you that yes, you can trust God's word more than you can trust anything else. And then the second goal. Uh, is that if we do trust in God's Word, hopefully we'll be better equipped now to, to uh, share that with others, to, to show others that you know, we are the ones that are, are on the right side of history, that we are the ones that have a true understanding of history, and that uh, those we, we share the gospel with, they are the ones that need to come to the truth. And so Luke's going to make three, three claims to help us with that. And the first one, is that the events that he records were foretold by the Prophets. The events were foretold by the Prophets. Let me read verse 1 again. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, this little phrase, the things that have been accomplished among us, is important. That word accomplished means fulfilled. Brought to completion, it means brought to pass. These things have been accomplished among us. And so Luke's gospel, therefore, is a compiling of all of these things that have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Think about it. It's the the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, it's the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Messiah to come, it's the fulfillment of these types of shadows, these non-verbal prophecies that God has set in place. Christ came as the one who has fulfilled these. That's a major theme of the whole Gospel of Luke. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he meets up with his disciples, and in his last meal with them, he says these words in Luke 24, verse 24. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In everything written about me, in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the psalms, in other words, he said, in all of Scripture, must be fulfilled, and so the book starts with this idea of fulfillment, and then with this idea of fulfillment, and all throughout we see that Christ is one who comes to fulfill. I read somewhere that Jesus fulfilled 325 individual prophecies about the Messiah, and some of the sources uh, had even more than that. We see that Jesus truly did fulfill what the Scriptures had said the Messiah were fulfilled. You might ask, what does all of this have to do with the truthfulness of the gospel? Well, it means that we can trust that Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus is not making up some sort of new identity. He's not out of the blue claiming to be the Messiah. These things from long ago or told to come to pass. So he's fulfilling what is already being spoken. Now some people will say, I've talked to people before and they say, well, Jesus, he just got lucky. He got lucky. He saw that he was born in Bethlehem. He saw his other tribe of David. And so he went out of his way then to go and meet all the other prophecies. So he claimed to be of Messiah. There are times when, uh, in, in the Bible, Jesus does something. The Bible says that he did it so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So essentially the claim is that he has this kind of list of prophecies and he went through trying to fulfill them, checking them off like a, a grocery list. But is this true? Did Jesus, did Jesus find you open a loophole and cheat the system? Well, no, he didn't. See, there are many prophecies that Jesus had absolutely no way to cheat. I'll name a few for you. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. How many of you raised your hand if you chose where you were born? None of us. Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't want to explain that one to you, but you can't, you can't eat that one. For Jesus was betrayed by a friend. Jesus was betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. His clothes were, were auctioned off as he was hanging there on the cross being crucified. So these are some examples along with many more where you can't cheat the system for all specific prophecies that would be completely out of the control of Jesus yeah. to manipulate if he were just a mere man trying, claiming to be the Messiah. But Jesus is no mere man. He is the creator, yeah. Santa, of all sustainer, the one who made these prophecies now the one who has fulfilled them. And so Luke is simply recording that which was long ago crippled and now accomplished among us. Therefore, we can, we can trust what Luke has to say. These things are things that he made up of their things to the written hundreds, even thousands of years before, but now filled in Christ. So that's, that's his first claim, why
1: we can trust the gospel, why we can trust the truthfulness of the, the gospel. But these events were long to go
0: now Luke's second point is that the Gospel is trustworthy Trustworthy because the events were seen by eyewitnesses. Look at verse 2. Yes, sorry, verse one. Having been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us. See that Luke's account of the events is not based off of what he heard generations later, Luke is getting his material straight from the source. Sometimes today we'll hear people say things like, yeah, my, my cousin's friend's uh, wife told me that this and this happened. But whenever that's the case, I'm a little bit, a little bit skeptical. Because the information has traveled through many outlets. I'm not always certain whether or not it is true. It's like the game of telephone. which Maybe you have, Wait, if you whisper something into someone's ear and then the message needs to be passed all the way down the line, what you'll notice is that by the time it gets to the end of the line, the message has completely changed. That's not the case with Luke's gospel. Luke is getting this from eyewitnesses themselves. These are people who have experienced Jesus with their five senses. And they've seen him with their eyes they they touched him, they sat and eaten food with Jesus. They seen him die on the cross. They saw him buried in his tomb. And then they also saw him risen again hand from the grave. And so this is who Luke is getting this information from. He's not getting these stories three, four, five generations of So so Sometimes people will make the claim, do you really believe a book? that was written 2,000 years ago. It's been so long since those things have happened, how can you know that it's true? In 2,000 years, how do you know that that is actually true? The problem with that question is that it's looking at the wrong gap of time. The gap of time that is important is not the gap of time between when the event was recorded and what time it is now, which is 2,000 years. The important gap of time is when the event happened and when the event was recorded. And in the case of Luke's gospel, it's a very little amount of time, maybe 30 or 40 years. Luke is talking about the see these things happen. And I'll give you something to compare this to. Have you guys heard of Alexander the Great? Probably. He's a very famous priest conqueror. He lived around 2,300 years ago. And he's known by many to be a Historical person who lived and did what was recorded about him. The stories are pretty accurate. When uh, they when they tell you something about Alexander the Great, we believe from most part that it is true. Well, the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were not written until 400 years after his death. Now compare that to Jesus the Gospels, which are all written within one generation of his death, so the gospels are very, very accurate by historical standards. And Luke wasn't just recording hearsay; he was talking to actual people that witnessed it. People can literally say to Luke, ah, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but why don't you go and talk to so and so? Jedediah over there—he he saw the whole thing happen. He can tell you exactly what went down." These people had seen and walked with Jesus. And, they, and, and, and if you saw and walked with Jesus, you would remember what happened. You would remember what he did, what he said, and that's the thing with these people, especially in a, in a, um, a culture of oral, oral tradition. These kids are, are memorizing the first five books of the Bible. They don't have to memorize, they don't have to remember the stories that they, they saw. And so that's Luke's. Second claim for the truthfulness of the gospel. Now, what is recorded is based upon eyewitness accounts. Now, the third and final claim why the gospel is trustworthy is because all of the events were carefully investigated by Luke himself. By Luke himself. Look at verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. To write an orderly account for you, most excellent the author. Now, here I want to talk a little bit about Luke, the author of this gospel. And who was Luke? We know that he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. We know that he probably himself wasn't a eyewitness of the account. That's so why he's going and he's talking to these eyewitnesses. And so, who was Luke? But we don't read much about him in, in Scripture. But what we do is always someone who is faithfully doing the work of the ministry in various ways. And so I want to mention four, four quick things about Luke. First, as, as most of you probably know, Luke was a doctor, a physician. We, we read in Colossians 4, verse 14, as Paul is finishing up writing his letter to the Colossians and he gives his final greetings, and he says. These words, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Now, being a physician in the ancient world doesn't carry the same prestige and dignity that we we give doctors today. Many physicians back then were were showmen. They were were thought to be these money-seeking, routine-bound kind of quacks. And you see this a little bit in the story of the of bleeding woman. Luke records the story of this woman who's been bleeding for twelve years, and it says that she'd be paying physicians for these twelve years to try and heal her, to the point that she had no money left. And what that tells us, Luke is Luke is kind of taking a shot here at the physicians because they would take the woman's money, and yet they wouldn't heal her. So doctors are not always seen as as the best people in I life. But Luke, Luke's not like that. We see here that Luke is called the beloved physician, the beloved physician. And Luke truly, truly cares for the needs of the sick. He was a doctor after the example of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But Luke is not just a doctor. That's his first thing. Luke's not just a doctor. Secondly, he was a missionary, so not only did he see the importance of meeting the physical needs of people, but was concerned primarily for their spiritual needs. As we read through the book of Acts, we see that Luke, the author, often used the words "we." You notice that sometimes he'll be going and talking about what Paul, Silas, or Barnabas are doing, but then sometimes he'll say "we," which means that he is there alongside ministering with them, at least on a few, of their missionary journeys. Acts 16 is an example where it uh, talks about the conversion of Lydia, and he says uh, that, that he, we, are ministering here together in this city. And so he met the physical and the spiritual needs of the people. As a quick aside for us, I think that that's a good example for, for what we should, we should focus on in our missionary activities. We have a, a healthy balance of meeting the physical needs, but prioritizing the spiritual needs of the lost. And Jesus says, what good is it to save someone? You go on their way and be blessed, but not to give them a coat. But then also, we don't want to be sending people to hell to hold something. We need to find the balance of meeting the, the physical needs that Jesus gave himself in and then also prioritizing that even if even if their needs are not fully ventured on earth, Christ become a need their grace, and who is become their sin. so we see that Luke is a doctor, but he's also a miserable. And thirdly, we see that Luke was a faithful friend. Second Timothy the last book the Apostle Paul would ever write. Records some sad words, His heart says, so read to the book of 2 Timothy without getting a little bit teared up because of what he's saying. Paul he is now in his final imprisonment uh, before his death. It was one of the worst imprisonments that he had done. He'd been in before, but this was really one of the worst. One of the reasons was he was in Rome. He was in this dark, cool, dungy prison and he was pretty much all alone. He had nobody with him. And he says these his final words, or to your young friend Timothy, as he sits there awaiting his death, he says, Do your best to come to me. For Demas, in love of the present world, has deserted you and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, but Luke alone is with you. Luke alone. It's some had kind of deserted Paul; others were off to ministry in other areas. But Luke alone remained. He was a faithful friend who truly cared for the people in his life. And we see this as he as he writes out, uh, his gospel in the very first book. So Luke was a doctor who was a missionary who was a faithful friend. And finally, the fourth thing that we're going to focus on now is that Luke was a historian. Look at verse three again. It seemed good to me also. Having followed all things closely for some time past, to write more things for you, most excellent theology. St. Luke was a good historian. He spoke with the eyewitnesses, he closely followed all things. He went back to the very beginning, and he followed all the way to the very end. Good historians are like good investigators. I'm a fan of mystery novels with Agatha. Christie's percule Poirot being my favorite investigator. What makes Poirot so good is that he is concerned with the details and that he's interested in looking at the evidences in light of the greater story. He looks and he interprets the evidence he sees in light of of the whole picture of things. And this is the same with Luke as an investigator and historian. He'll, he'll mention random um, like Roman centurion names that ruled in these places. And why is he doing that? Well, because he cares about the details, and because this is a historically accurate historical account. But then he also looks at the whole greater story of the Bible. He takes, he takes, uh, he takes Old Testament prophecies, and he looks at them and how they're fulfilled in Christ. He, he goes back to the very beginning, you'll notice that as you're we, as going to be reading through Luke's Gospel, he includes things that the other Gospels don't have. And for example, his Gospel has the account of the birth of John the Baptist, no other Gospel has that. He has the songs of Mary and Zechariah, no other Gospel has that. He's got the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, no other gospels have that. It's got the story of the conversion of the thief on the cross, where Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke's gospel is the, the only gospel that takes, takes us from the very beginning to the very end of Christ's time here on earth. And so Luke is a top level historian. And so when people challenge you with the notion that, you know, you believe be book written by men in 2000, Years ago, our response is usually, yeah, we don't. We have, we have all of the evidence on our side. And so it's not anti-intellectual to believe in the Bible. It's anti-intellectual to not believe in the Bible. And so Luke is a doctor, he's a missionary, he's a, a faithful friend, of course, he's a historian. for that, we can his gospel. This isn't some guy working on his go and he speaks to the people in the of and be faithfully
1: Now, why is all of
0: this important to us? Look at the end of verse 3 and then verse 4. Does it seem good to me also, having followed all things closely in the time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent theophilus, that you may have a certainty concerning the things. You have the Father. See, Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus, which means lover of God. We aren't sure exactly who Theophilus was, some people think. It was a, um, like a name for the church in general, uh, some people think. That he was a Roman official, because like he was given this name, most excellent, which is given to Roman officials. But we don't know for sure. What we do know about Theophilus, and that he's being written to, in order to give him confidence in his faith. Now, Luke writes this gospel so that the authors will have an orderly, historical, accurate account of the life of Jesus, and from that we can have certainty. And the same is true for us. We can have certainty that Jesus truly did come as the Son of God. We can have certainty that Jesus truly did come to seek and save the lost. We can have certainty that Jesus truly did die on the cross for our sin. And we can have certainty that Jesus truly did rise from dead to deliver us from sin and death. And we can have confidence in God's word. Christians don't have to be afraid of the facts because the facts are on our side. All that the Bible reports about that Jesus actually happened, and therefore, it has actual implications in our lives. And so I'm hoping that as we study through the book of Luke and the church, that that would be the case for all of us, that we would have a greater understanding, a greater love, and a greater confidence in our Savior, the Lord Jesus. That we would see more clearly who he was, what he did, and why he came, and that you would see that this man who who walked on the very earth that we walk on today is worthy to give your you time, your energy, your desires, your and maybe even if he requires it, life. for the glory of his good and graciousness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we've already. Give me thanks this morning for your word, we give you thanks. Now it's him. And Lord, we ask that you would give us confidence in your word. And Lord, not just intellectual confidence in the Word of God. Lord, but that in our hearts we would trust it to be the Word. That we would trust that when the Bible says that it is, it is profitable for all things, that we truly believe that would that we would not turn to other sources of wisdom that we have in front of us in the Word of God. And so, Lord, strengthen us in our faith, in a greater confidence. Lord, if you have revealed yourself to us and we have that revelation in your Word. And Lord, for those here who may not know you, who may not trust that this is your Word, and maybe they know that this is your Word and have not believed that this is your Word, that you would show them that your spirit would prick their hearts to see that so this is God's word, and that God's word says of them, but then, their salvation is true. So that apart from Christ, they will bear the weight of their sin, and that it is only through Christ who came, lived, God was buried, and raised again. that so we can be set free, and from the punishment of hell. Amen. Praise in Jesus.